Our consideration for the day is on the back of the bulletin. And we're looking at improper interpretations and crypts of, should that be of Christian liberty or am? Okay, and Christian liberty. Uh, we thereby object to infringement on Christian liberty by men who make their own moral judgments with the certainty and authority of Scripture. What is specifically condemned in Scripture, we have the right to condemn today. What is condemned directly in principle and in Scripture, we may condemn today. What is not directly condemned in Scripture, or what is not condemned by immediate application of a principle, must be judged by Christian conscience, but cannot be made as binding as things directly condemned or directly condemned in principle. This is Bernard Ram from Protestant Biblical Interpretation. And it's very interesting uh, because we do live in a society where people say what? Don't. <laughs> yes, you hear it all the time. Don't judge. And I would say that Christians should not be judging society, right? Because society is what it is. It's full of a bunch of unbelievers. And how do you expect an unbeliever to do anything but act like an unbeliever? But within this church and within the body of Christ, we should be looking at behaviors, right? As they're apparent and you can see them and helping our brothers and sisters to stay in line with how a believer should be acting. To do otherwise, I think, is abuse on the part of believers, do you let your children go running and run out into the street and get hit by a car? No. You're going to tell them, stop, <laughs> don't, don't do that, right? Do you let your best friends go and make decisions that you know are going to collapse and affect their lives? No, you tell them, hey, you, you might not want to do that. But you do it in a spirit of truth and love, and I think the same is true uh, with regard to believers. That brings us to our uh, topic for today. As we talk about a believer uh, that is spiritual, a believer that is spiritual is going to be participating in spiritual harmony with God. Now, we look at songs, right? The pastor often talks about his disdain for songs. And why does he say that? He says he doesn't like the way that they affect his emotions. You got that right? I'm not misrepresenting you. <laughs> but other people like songs because of the way that they might affect your emotions, right? If I'm in this mood, I listen to this song and it makes me happy, right? If I'm in this mood, I listen to this song and it aligns with the mood that I'm in, right? And that's kind of where people listen to songs. I don't know many people that listen to songs and have absolutely no connection to those songs whatsoever, or you probably wouldn't be listening to music at that point, right? There are some emotional effect that uh, music usually has on you. And so you look at music for happy moods, music for sad moods, music for angry moods. But music can also affect you psychologically, right? And so uh, it can motivate you. It can intimidate other people. I think of sporting events and why do they play certain songs that they play? Because they want to have an effect on the opponents as they're coming into that stadium. And so you see music have an effect in that matter. <laughs> music cause pe causes people to meditate. Music causes people to participate. Music is a thing that brings people together. 
Um, and so as you're thinking about music, it is a little bit different when it comes to scripture. As you look in the Old Testament, a lot of times music is done as something to celebrate victory, right? If you look at the Song of Moses, and we're going to go deeper into that when we get to the conference, or the Song of Deborah, what are they doing? They're extolling the virtues of God for benefits that he provided and creating victory over their enemies. And you're going to see when we come to the book of Revelation, again at the conference, that in the tribulation period, they will be singing a song of God again, praising him for the victory that he's provided. After they've been waiting for so long and saying, until when? When are you going to give us the victory over our enemies? And God delivers that victory. And what do they do? They praise him through song for what he's done. For you and I as believers, it's a little bit different. As we looked at that verse for, from Ephesians for uh, singing spiritual songs, it aligns with a context that talks about believers that are having a spiritual battle going on within, right? You look back into the fourth chapter and you see the potential of believers that are walking out their Christian lives according to the flesh. And many of the, the actions that come off from them are the, just those, right? Fleshly type actions. And what does Paul do? He contrasts, like he often does, those actions that are after the spirit with those that are after the flesh. And so as you get over into chapter 5, he starts to give a lot of participles that point to the fact that as you're walking by the spirit, this is what it looks like, right? And what is the summary of those things as we get to the end of the chapter and get closer to the end? He says, singing and making melody in your heart, singing spiritual songs and hymns and making melody in your heart. Does that mean that we're uh, sitting here and we're singing out songs and and don't take this wrong. I'm not going against music. I did not inherit my father's disdain for music. I love music of all kinds. Right. And I'm not calling him out for his disdain for music either. Uh, and yet I understand that your spiritual state does not mean that you have to be singing. Right. But it does mean that you're in harmony with the God of the universe that has provided you a position in Christ. And so when it talks about singing and making melody in your hearts, there's a, a musical tone that's going on within you that does not have to be verbalized in any form that shows that you're in complete harmony with the God that has provided you a position in Christ. And it looks good on the outside, not because you have a beautiful voice. I don't. <laughs> and many of you might be with me right as we're singing. We do the best that we can. But hey, singing is not one of my gifts. But as I'm living out this life, it looks beautiful on the outside when I'm aligned and in harmony with the God that has provided me a position in Christ and that I can live this life. And on the outside, you see these fruits of the spirit. And guess what? It's just as beautiful as any beautiful song could ever be. So let's talk about that today. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we're so grateful uh, for this day uh, and grateful for uh, the position that you've given us in Christ that uh, we can accomplish things that we never would be able to accomplish uh, in the flesh. We can uh, align uh, with who we are in our position in Christ and it looks like him on the outside. 
May we be ones that are, are continually uh, reflecting on what we have and who we are in Christ uh, so that that activity might be seen on the outside, that uh, there would be less of us seen in the flesh and more of your son seen through our activity. We're so grateful for these things, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Let me get a quick drink here. And so as you remember back to our scripture reading, when we looked at it, and we started out over in Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to give you a warning. Uh, Many times when I'm speaking, I use a lot of different scriptures, right? I'm not going to use many different scriptures today. We're going to be in this context for most of the whole uh, time that we're here. Now, when we get back to it in, in July, we're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures. But hopefully this builds a good foundation and start for what we're going to look at then. And so as you look back in the context, Paul shows us a life of the believer that is contrasted, uh, that life that you're supposed to be living with that of a believer that's not filled. Right. And so what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Does it mean that you're uh, doing stuff or not doing stuff? I remember back to when the pastor was going to go up, and this will always just reverberate in my mind. I don't know why. Uh, But his brother was a pastor of a church in Detroit before he died, and he asked the church if my father could come up and speak. And what did the church say? They said, well, one of the conditions to whether we would want him to come up and speak or not is this. Is he holy? (laughs) Right? <laughs> is he holy? And what did they mean by that? Well, <laughs> that could be one thought. But I think uh, in that, and I'll uh, have the pastor correct me right here, they wanted to see that his outward actions lined up to the holiness of God, right? And that he looked like God on the outside through his actions and activity. Now, there's seemingly nothing wrong with this. But there could be something wrong with this when you state that I'm going to make myself holy by what I do and don't do. (laughs) Boo. Yes. Do not mistake yourself, friends. There is nothing holy about you. Right. And that's not a, a slight against anybody in this room. It's the same that's true of myself. It's the same that's true of every human being that's walking this earth. You are not holy. Right. God is holy. And as you live out who you are in Christ, you are partakers in his holiness. You and I are but unrighteous human beings. Right. We could not make ourselves holy. There is nothing we could do to make ourselves holy. And so it is with that mind that we look back to chapter four and Paul identifies some actions of these believers that do not in any way align with holiness. Right. In fact, they are to the point where he says, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. Right. Grieving the Holy Spirit. Does that sound like someone that's holy to you? And yet these are believers. Go back with me there to Ephesians chapter four and verse 30 He says, and grieve not that grieve not is in the present. And when you have a negative particle that's stated with these present tense verbs, it means to interrupt action that's already ongoing. He says, stop it. 
stop grieving the Holy Spirit. What you're doing through your actions is calling the causing the Holy Spirit to grieve. The Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, we'll get back to that in a little bit. This word for grieve has the idea in the context of an action of a believer that causes sadness to the Holy Spirit. Now, you look at that and we think of the Holy Spirit as uh, what was said there earlier, that the Holy Spirit is a spirit, right? He does not have human emotions like we do. Right. And so we can get sad. We can get happy. We can get down. We can get angry. The Holy Spirit does not have these human emotions. And so why is it stating that we can grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, what I will submit to you is it's what we call in theological terms accommodation. Right. You and I are human beings and we could never understand a divine God. So what does God have to do? He has to use terms that we can understand to better explain his action and activity. And so as you look at this, it's what you call an anthropopathism. And that means it's ascribing human emotions to God in order for us to better understand his activity. The Holy Spirit does not have emotions, so we can't, in theory, make him sad. But what he, we can do is that the believer's actions in accordance with the sin nature can cause the Holy Spirit to act within the believer and produce emotions that the believer thinks is his very own. And so what happens? You're a believer. You're walking out in this life. You're doing things that are from the sin nature. And the Holy Spirit presses within you. And you say, boy, I should not have done that. Right. That was a bad thing that I did. And you keep going and you do it again. The Holy Spirit presses with you in you again. Boy, that's a bad thing that I did. But, you know, you can go so far to where you keep doing this thing and doing this thing and doing this thing and ignoring the sounds of the Holy Spirit and you become dull. Right. You're where the Hebrew saints were over in uh, Hebrews chapter five, where it says you, you become dull of hearing. You're not affected at all emotionally by the actions you did, and you're walking your life out just like an unbeliever. We won't go too far off into that. We just want to, to uh, set that up for you. Now, as he speaks about the Holy Spirit here in chapter 4, he says that the believer is sealed by the Holy Spirit. And this validates that the Holy Spirit will produce this in the believer until complete salvation. You see, we were saved at a point in time in the past because we believed that Christ died on the cross for our sins and that he was buried. And guess what? He rose again. Yes. And then we're living out this life. Right. We are being saved as we speak and we shall be completely saved in the future. But as you're walking out this life, you're still subject to that sin nature. Right. And the Holy Spirit still has to grieve within us when we're participating in it. In verse 31, we see that we are producing or these believers were producing works of the flesh. And what does it say there? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. These don't sound like acts of a believer, right? And if the world looks at it, why do they say that they're hypocrites in the church? Because believers can participate in some of these very acts, right? And they have a picture that believers are supposed to be sinlessly perfect when that is not at all the case, right? And you see these different acts being carried out here. This word for bitterness is an interesting one. 
And some of these are inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Some of these are inspired by Satan, and some of these are inspired by the sin nature. But this bitterness, I think, is one that Satan perks within a believer. And so you have this word picria, and it's uh, a word I believe that in, uh, originally has its, its uh, origins in uh, spices and those kind of things. But I would translate it like this: It's bad internal feelings toward another based on personal perception of their actions or characteristics. You see, within yourself, there's something about that person that just rubs you the wrong way, right? And you look at them and you get certain feelings and thoughts in your mind about that individual, right? Boy, that person just really makes me sick, right? I can't stand them. You ever done that? None of you guys have ever done that, right? That doesn't... I might have done it a time or two. I don't know about everybody else. Bitterness, right? This is something that can be fostered within the mind of an individual. The next word he talks about is wrath. Now, that one's uh, pretty self-explanatory, right? But as you look at it, it's of an inward burning. It's from our Greek word thumas. It means that inside you're on fire, right? This person inflames you, or something that they do absolutely inflames you. And what do you want to do? I say it's the inward burning of an individual toward another person or situation that has a likelihood of inspiring acts of anger. Now, it doesn't mean that it's going to happen, but there's a high likelihood that if you keep burning the way that you are toward this person, it's going to result in you doing something about it, right? That burning is not just going to be cooled off within you. Think of a tea kettle, right? That tea kettle steams up, it gets to the top, and psh, it spouts out. Now, the next word has the actual reality of that outcoming that outpours from what's going on inside of you. Orge. And it's the word translated anger. It's the negative effect of external actions on an individual that are unable to be contained internally and do result in action. You're on the road, right? Somebody cuts you off. <laughs> and inside of yourself, you're... So you chase the person down and go behind them. And well, we don't want to go too far down that road, but bad things ensue. Right. Because of your internal anger that you can't withhold in any longer. Think of a pot of boiling water and it bubbling over <laughs> over the top. That's how that word is. The word for clamor is our word for uh, cry gay. And it means the outcry of an individual from internal indignation. You're so angry on the inside that your words come out on the outside. And then the last word is evil speaking. And this is our word for blasphemy, blasphemia. It's the slander of another person without carefulness for the effect. And so as you look at each one of these, in verse 31, it says, put these away from you with all malice. And so his word for malice has the idea of personal acts of evil by an individual. And I would say they summarize these lists of previous acts that you saw uh, that are closely associated with these personal acts of evil. And so what is he exhorting the believer in this context? Let these things be put away from you, right? Don't allow Satan to overtake your mind and to spur your sin nature into action that is contrary to what you would normally walk out when you're living in the spirit or walking by the spirit. 
this word for put away has the idea of to lift up uh, a thing. And in the passive voice is someone else lifting it away from you. And in the context, I would submit to you that it's the Holy Spirit, right? Is you're placing your mind as to who you are in Christ and withdrawing yourself from the things that are going on on this earth. The Holy Spirit is able to take over that battle and that thing that you thought was a big deal can become smaller, right? When weighed with eternity and the things that we have in eternity. And so in the aorist tense, which this verb is also used, it, it uh, regards the urgency of the situation. He says, put these things from, away from you or let the Holy Spirit put these things away from you right now. Right? Don't wait. <laughs> let it happen right now. Now, also, as we read down through the context, we see there are other activities that were taking place with these Ephesian saints that weren't good. And that they're going to definitely be contrasted with what he's talking about as, as far as one being spiritual. In verse three of chapter five, he talks about fornication, uncleanliness and covetousness. So turn over there. He says in verse three, but fornication, uncleanliness and covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. And so as this word becometh is what's fitting, right? Those things that are fitting. If we're going to be called saints or ones that are set apart, ones that are holy, this is the same word. We're holy because of who we are in Christ then it is not fitting that these actions over here should be identified in how we're living our life, right? And so in the context here, he talks about fornication, uh, uncleanliness, but not only those, some would say, well, eh, no problem with fornication or uncleanliness. What, What about covetousness? What about being thankful in situations where it doesn't seem like you should be giving thanks, right? In our mind, we say, hey, I don't have what I need for this situation. I don't have enough. It's not enough for me. And you say, boy, where were you at, God? You kind of left me hanging over here. That's that attitude of covetousness, right? That what God has provided for you in your given situation is not enough. And anytime we complain, I would submit to you, we think of covetousness as just, oh boy, I want more, I want more. When you complain, you are saying to God that what you have in that given situation is not enough, right? I need more. (laughs) God has said that he's summed it up. He's looked at the situation. He's done the equation. He says you can handle it. And guess what? You're saying, no, no, I don't think I can. (laughs) I think I need more in this situation, right? Even though you have perfect wisdom, perfect knowledge, know me better than I know myself, it's not enough. (laughs) I need more, right? And you're not probably actively saying that, but subconsciously, that's what you're saying in these circumstances. So we have to be very, very careful of that one. In verse four, we see more actions that are contrasted with this life of one that is spiritual. We see actions causing unthankfulness in this attitude that we were just talking about there. He says, neither filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Now, those are some very interesting words there. That word for filthiness has the idea of acts causing shame, right? 
Is there anything that we're doing as believers? And I'm not trying to create legalistic principles for any of you in this, this room, but are there any things that we're doing that could bring shame upon the, the name of God? Foolish talk that has the idea of moronic discussion, right? Is there any conversation that we're taking part in that could be deemed moronic? <laughs> Well, maybe some would say that all of my conversation outside of the Bible is moronic. Improper jesting. This is off-color joking. Are we, are we telling dirty jokes? Again, don't look at these clusters like this when you find them in Scripture and say, Oh my God, I'm doing this one, I'm doing that one. No. If things align with where you are spiritually and you need to do better, then hey, let's reflect our mind on things above and do better. If not, then you, you continue on. We also see actions uh, uh, align with those of unbelievers in, in verse five and so uh, verses five and six, really. Uh, as to one's not inheriting the kingdom of God in verse five, so continue reading on. He says, for this we know that no whoremonger or unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, some might look at this and say, oh, oh, my God, I've done one of these things. I have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. No. <laughs> if you were responsible for your salvation, then you could lose your salvation, right? If you were responsible for your salvation, then it's your job to maintain your salvation. Thank God, the Father, for his son, Jesus Christ, that his sacrifice was sufficient for all things. So when we look at these, we don't say, oh, my God, I'm going to lose my salvation. We look at it and say, is there something in my life that I need to get right where I need to align better with who I am in Christ? Right. Because this is what it looks like when you're not. This is what it looks like for those that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we don't want to look like that. Right. So we adjust and get our behavior right uh, in that regard. <coughs> Continuing on in verse 6, we see that uh, this is uh, emblematic of those who are awaiting wrath. Now, you know, you and I have been saved from the wrath that is coming. It says it over and over again in Scripture. Romans 5 is one that I could point out to you. But uh, in verse 6, it says, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And I would say that it is not your individual actions. It's not their individual actions that are causing the wrath to come. It's because of the sin nature that's inside of each and every last one of them. As, as they continue on, it's just further proof of the fact that they have this sin nature and that they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And so do we want our actions to align with those who will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's a question that we should ask ourselves. In verse 8, and we can read on from verse 7 through there, we see that these actions are in contrast with the present status of the saints. And so pick it up in verse 7. It says, Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of, uh, of light. I like the way that Paul often gives these big-headed Christians a, a piece of humble pie, right? Boy, I'm saved, and boy, I just got it all together now, right? 
I'm high and mighty. I've arrived. <laughs> well, remember, <laughs> you were just like them, right? As we look at the unsaved world, you can look out on the unsaved world and look at their actions and really sympathize for them because of what they're doing and where they're going. And you can look at them and say, boy, thank God that you saved me, right? Mm -hmm. And that when I'm participating in any of these acts that are similar to what they're doing, then I'm not going to hell myself. Thank God for his grace. There shouldn't be an opportunity for us to look down on them and say, boy, look at the unsaved people there, right? I'm reminded of one of the stories the pastor told and uh, he told of a, a rich person driving through a poor part of town and, and just looking down their noses at those poor people. Boy, look at the poors, right? Look at what they don't have and, and look at what we have. You know believers can get that way to where you're uh, just risen up in pride because of the grace that's been provided to you, forgetting that it's grace <laughs> that caused you to be saved. And starting to think that it's me. And the boy, God, really, he did the right thing when he picked me, right? There's something about me. He really got a winner, right? No. You are just as filthy, <laughs> just as if left to your own devices, just as capable of doing all of the despicable evil things. And even sometimes with some believers, even with salvation, still capable of doing those despicable things that these unsaved people would do. So rather than look at what we have by grace and, and gloat in that, Paul gives these opportunities for you to say, hey, we used to be that too, right? And here's an opportunity for us to thank, thank the Father, right? Thank you for providing me, me with this opportunity to be saved, right? Because if not... <laughs> I would be just like them. Even beyond the personal acts and things that you do, I would be headed for an uncertain future. I would have the wrath of God hanging over my head. Thank you, Father, for your, your grace. So he says in verse 8, you were sometimes darkness. You were characterized by the outward display of darkness. All of your acts that you were doing were in darkness, right? But now, in contrast, you are characterized by light. And there's nothing that you can do in your personal acts or actions that take that away. You can't dim the light of God. And there's another opportunity for you to give God thanks for the grace that he's provided. Because even with all of the horrible, nasty things we can do as believers, he still characterizes us by his light. Unbelievable, right? And if you contrast it, this is going off on an aside. I probably need to get moving here, but contrast it with Adam. Adam had an outward display of light as he walked through that garden, right? And as soon as he sinned, what happened? He lost it, right? God causes you and I to be able to keep this characterization of light in our lives in spite of who we are uh, as human beings. Unbelievable. As you look to point three, we see the signs of a spirit filled believer. Now, this is in contrast. We had to set up those horrible things that are stated there concerning how believers can act to appreciate the things that we have that are good. And so as you look through Ephesians chapter four, 
uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, uh, we'll go back and look at some of the good things that were stated. Flip back there in verse 32. After talking about this cluster in which he said, uh, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, he says, and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And people say, what would Jesus do? Well, here's a good what would Jesus do moment for you. Are you willing to forgive, right? When someone, someone has wronged you and, and pierced you through, are you willing to forgive? Because that's something you can do that God has done on our behalf through Jesus Christ. And this attitude here of forgiveness spurs several different things that we see in this context in verses uh, 30 through uh, 32 through uh, chapter 2 of chapter or verse. I'll get it right. (laughs) Verse 32 through verse 2 of chapter 5. Forgiveness spurs kindness and this kindness is a part of the fruit of the spirit. And how are you going to show or display the parts of the fruit of the spirit? I said I wasn't going to go away. Go back with me really quick to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. Because it's telling you here in the context of Ephesians about a walk, right? And how better can I tell you, you guys know very well that have been at this church for a while, how we're supposed to walk and how involved the Holy Spirit is in the way that you're walking, right? And as he is, then you're going to show forth the fruit of the spirit. As we're walking as who we are in the flesh, you're going to show forth the works of the flesh. It's just a one plus one equals two kind of thing. Verse 16, he says, this I say, walk by the spirit. And I would say that in there is a by. The spirit is the means by which you're going to walk when you're walking spiritually. Walk by means of the spirit and you shall not Fulfill the lust of the flesh. I don't have to emphasize to you guys how demonstrative that statement is. When you walk by the spirit, you have no capacity to fulfill the lust of the flesh. The flesh can put all kinds of thoughts in your head, all kinds of thoughts in your head. As you're walking by the spirit, you're not going to carry not a one of them out. Right. But as you're walking by the flesh, you're going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's as simple as that. Verse 17, for this, uh, for the flesh less against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. And I would make it a little bit stronger there. And I would tie if you don't have this in your Bible, you like to make notes. Tie Romans chapter seven right here. (laughs) It says uh, you cannot you don't even have the ability to do the things that you desire. So you could say, boy, I sure want to do what's right. Right. I sure want to accomplish this thing that God wants me to accomplish. And yet you're trying to do it of your own steam. And guess what happens? Your locomotive runs out of steam. You won't make it to your destination. You're not going to get there. Your car runs out of gas. Right. Because you're trying to do it yourself. You're not running on God's energy. You're running on your own. You don't have the ability But if you're walking by the spirit, you're going to accomplish those things that you desired. In verse 18, it says, but if you you be led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And really there you could circle that the because it's not there in the Greek text. You're not under any quality of law. Right. Is you're accomplishing things out of your own flesh. The only way to accomplish those things is to say, this is my goal. I have to do it. 
and you're putting yourself under some measure of law, right? I am going to get here, right? And people ask, well, what was so wrong with what Cain did? Well, Cain said in his heart, I have to please God. That's my goal. This is how I'm going to do it. That was his offering. And guess what? He fell short because it was not what God asked for or what God requested. It was him trying to produce righteousness himself when we don't have that ability as, as human beings. So going back to this idea of kindness here, you can scroll down just a little bit in verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. That's our word there for, uh, that can be translated kindness uh, as well. And so you see this as, as part of the fruit of the spirit. Now, uh, as you look at that kindness back over in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, it's uh, to each other. And so as you're thinking about uh, believers and you're thinking about being forgiving of another believer, right? When they do something towards you, this forgivingness is going to allow you to be kind towards that believer, even when they've done things that you don't like, right? Sometimes people are people, right? <laughs> and sometimes people are going to do things that rub you the wrong way. And what is your reaction to the things that they do? Right. Is it forgiveness or is it unforgiveness? And I would tell you that unforgiveness takes you to a place where you're going to be in an attitude of covetousness. Because you're going to say what God has allowed for this situation is too much. Right. This person and this person might be might have been able to do these things that I forgive. But this one right here. No, no, I can never forgive that. Right. Or what's the famous thing people say? Uh, I. I. Uh, I forgive you, but I, I won't forget. Right? Well, you're not really forgiven if you can't let it go. Right? And we see this here. Now, also with this forgiveness, it's going to provide for a, an attitude of tenderheartedness, this word for uh, you, splanknoi. And this is having good inward feelings toward another. Uh, and it's contrasted with that word for bitterness. Right? And so you have that bad blood, that bad feeling inside for people. This is not what it is when you look at this good feeling that you can have inside. For It's the total opposite, right? And if you forgive people, you're not going to have bitterness toward them. In verse 1 of chapter 5, we see that the believer can also follow or mimic God. It says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. This word here for a follower is our word for mimic. You ever seen a kid that goes around, a lot of you guys have kids in the, the room and they just do the same things that the father does, right? Uh, my father tells me when, I don't know, I don't remember, I was very young, but when he used to be a sports writer, I would go around and had my little sports writing pad and I would sit right alongside of him and act like I was taking notes, right? Maybe he's just saying that to fill his own, uh, <laughs> boost up his ego. No, he's not. Um, you can see I like sports as well, so it's probably true. Uh, but this idea of mimicking, you do the same behavior as someone else does, right? Same behavior as someone else does. And how can you mimic God in the context? It says, last verse, God forgave you and I in Christ, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to mimic God's behavior? Mimic by forgiving, right? Don't let people's actions Look, make, allow you to look at that person different than what they truly are. 
You're a human being just like you. They're fallible just like you. And whenever you cannot make any mistakes, maybe you can not forgive. When I say even then, look at God, who we know doesn't make any mistakes, and he's able to forgive. I think we can mimic that action. And so as you uh, get on through the context, or, or he says there even more than just the mimicking of God. And here uh, it's in the passive as well to be caused to mimic God. And so as you're looking at who you are in your position in Christ and letting the Holy Spirit lead you in your action, you will mimic the behavior of God. And what is that uh, inspired by? It's as beloved born ones. And so guess what? You and I, if you believe these facts of the Gospels, have been born into the family of God. That thing that Nicodemus was struggling so much when, when Christ said it right back in, in John, that can a man enter again into his mother's womb? Well, guess what? Spiritually, you and I have been born again, right? We've been created anew. We have the ability that we did not have before. And so he looks at that and draws inspiration on the fact that you can mimic the behavior of God because you are born once of God, right? Yeah, spiritual. In verse uh, four, we see that we can have an attitude of thankfulness. And so read down in verse two, it says, and walk ye in love uh, as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself on behalf of us an offering and a sacrifice to God and a sweet smelling savor. But fornication and uncleanliness and covetousness, let it not once be named among you as become as saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which is not convenient, but contrasted here, rather giving of thanks. You see, thanksgiving toward God can cover a lot of behavior for a believer. Because we do a lot of things out from the flesh. Why? Because we don't have an appreciation for the situation that we find ourselves in as believers, right? There's some insufficiency that we're seeing that causes us to do those acts of the flesh that we do. It's not enough, right? We need more. And, and it might have to come from within us. Might not even be we need anything from God. Maybe there's something in us that we have to generate. We need more. <laughs> we can't be thankful and appreciate the situation that we find ourselves in. And so what is the answer for that? Is being thankful, giving of thanks, appreciating the situation that God has placed you in and allowed you to be in and looking for ways to be well-pleasing to him, even in spite of those things. In verses five or uh, eight through nine, we see that the believer can walk in light. And so skip down just a little bit. Verse eight, it says, for you were sometimes darkness, but now contrast that but now is very important when you see it in scripture because it's directly contrasting some other action or activity he says but now are you light in the lord so since you're light in the lord since god has caused you to be born again made anew you have a whole new reality that's available to you what should you do walk in the light walk in the light amen walk as children of light as born ones of light as ones that have been regenerated again to walk in the light. This is your whole purpose for existing, right? Is now to walk in light. And you can't do it by yourself. You have to do it with God. In verse 9, what does that produce? For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness. There's our word for uh, kindness there again and goodness. And righteousness and truth. Uh, proving what is acceptable unto God. And so... Uh, 
<laughs> how can we be different than Cain? Because we can give things to God that God desires, and he's going to accept them every single time, right? Because we're producing or, or walking in what the Spirit has produced within us, and we offer that to God, it's going to be good, right? We talked about offering and people feeling compelled to give and giving out of that compulsion rather than out of the proper mind and attitude toward God. Well, guess what? You're not getting any points with God just because you wouldn't put some money into a box. God doesn't need your money. <laughs> Is that right, Pastor? He doesn't need your money. <laughs> he doesn't need it. God can cause his program to go along without you and your little piddlings that you're putting in a box. I'm often reminded of this church and our humble beginnings that we came from. There were times where there were one or two people sitting out here, right? And somehow this ministry has rolled along for all these years because God obviously wanted it to continue on. God does not need you and your individual ability or capacity to work out his plan. You get to be involved. Grace makes all service to God voluntary. Well, guess what? God is providing an opportunity for you to participate in what it is that he's doing. And if you won't do it, guess what? Somebody else will. So here's, here's the uh, challenge for you and I. In verse 10, we see these uh, proving or, uh, uh, of spiritual sacrifices that are accept acceptable to God. In verses 11 through uh, 14, we see the conviction that can take place individually from a believer uh, concerning his own works. And so in verse 11, it says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, uh, convince or convict them. Uh, this is a ministry, by the way, that we see of the Holy Spirit over in John chapter 16 when you're saved. Right. What does it say? That he will convince you of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. Right. But here he's saying your own personal ability to look and evaluate these personal works of evil and say, what should I be doing in this circumstance? Reprove them or or convince them, convict them. In verse 12, for it is a shame to even speak of those things which are done of them in secret, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. And so amazing statement there. Uh, we need to keep moving. In verse 15, it tells you to walk. And so here's this idea of walking again. Uh, I like the way uh, uh, I think it was Chris several years back and you guys will get to hear from him at the conference. But he talked about this idea of walking. Right. And he gave a, a good example that I believe he drew on from Pastor Dave of these little feet. Right. And, you know, those toys that you wind them up, you wind them up, you wind them up. And then you let them go. Well, these feet were walking around like this right, across the uh, across the pulpit. And this was a, a graphic illustration of what it's like to walk in this life. Right. The steps that you take every single step, you are making decisions in your individual lives every day. Right. Every day about things that you do, things that you don't do. Well, how does this align with God's purpose and plan for you? individually. So he says, this walk, these decisions that you're making, they should be done accurately in a measured way, right? It uh, really hits home to me because of what I do professionally. As you're looking at people's 
processes and what it is that they do professionally in their job. You have to really measure out accurately what it is that you're doing to be effective in business, right? Or else, guess what? Your, your process is going to go awry. It's going to be all over the place. As a believer, it's very similar. You've got to measure out what it is that you're doing, why it is that you're doing what you're doing, and how you're going to accomplish what you're doing. And so he says to walk circumspectly. Some people just roll out of bed and live, right? They give no thought to what they're doing every day, what, what they should be doing, how they should be going about accomplishing those things that God desires. It's just a, a crapshoot every day when you roll out of bed. That shouldn't be the case uh, for a believer. We should be walking accurately. Verse 16, we see uh, taking advantage of the time. It says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. This uh, word for redeeming has the idea of buying up the season of time. And so you're buying up. What are you doing when you buy something? You're buying that with the, the future intent of using it for a purpose. And I would say, as you have time in this life and we're living out this life as unto God, you're buying up opportunity to glorify God through what you say and do. Because these days are evil and your actions in contrast with those are going to stand out to people. And it's our whole purpose for being here. We have a lot of Christians that want to reach the outside world, right? But they want to do it like this. It's my job to go and tell this many people about Christ, right? It's my job. I got to go door to door. I got to tell every person I see everywhere I go. I'm going to leave this person a scripture here when I go to the restaurant. I'm going to go to the airport and I'm going to tell this person about God. I'm going to everywhere I go. I got to tell somebody about God. And then they see your actions right after you tell them about God. And they say, boy, <laughs> why would I want to belong to that that you're talking about? Am I right or am I wrong? People, yap, 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 yap. I got my fish on the back of my car. Look at me, I'm saved. Look, and I'm going down the street and somebody cuts me off and I'm throwing up the finger at people. I mean, what, what are you doing to yourself? Right? And I'm not saying that all believers can't fall short at some point in time. What I am saying is it's more important that you live out that message that you want to talk about than you talking about it. Right. Kids. <laughs> and I keeps coming back to them for me because I was a kid once. And <laughs> believe it or not, I was. <laughs> and I used to look at actions of people. Right. And sometimes we grow up and we forget about that. Right. Kids don't listen to what you're saying. They watch what you're doing. And the same is true of people as they're looking at you in this world. And we're, yap, 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 I'm a believer. Look at what they're doing, it's terrible. And then look at me and what I'm doing, and then guess what? It's terrible too. <laughs> and I want to stand out, and I want people to look at me, and I want people to be saved. Well, guess what? People are going to get saved because they see your life aligning with Christ and the life of Christ being lived out through you. Nothing else. All of your yapping, all of your words, it's not going to cut it. Right? You can leave as many scriptures as you want to leave here for this person or that person. You can say, I'm going to pray for you as much as you want to pray for them. You can try to give money to this person for that thing or this thing. It's you showing forth the life 
of Christ. There is nothing about any one of us individually that is going to save anybody. It's all in your action that aligns with Christ. Verse 17, we see that uh, understanding the will of the Lord. He says, wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what is the will of the Lord? Now, it's interesting that you hear a lot of believers struggling a lot of times to find out what God's will is in situations. And we have clear scripture that tells you how to determine the will of God. Right. Well, you don't believe me. Go back. Romans chapter 12. And there's nothing else to do but to come back to this when you're stuck. Now, I'm a human being. We're all human beings. You can get stuck in situations, right? You can have lived out life over and over again, and you think, boy, there's got to be something else. No, there's, there's nothing else. You keep coming back to the truth that you know is in Scripture. Here in verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the tender mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. There's something clear that you have to do before you can ever know or determine the will of God in your life is to say that it doesn't matter about me. It matters about God and what God wants. And sometimes we have what we want so very at the forefront of our minds and our lives that we can't determine what God wanted if he put it right in front of our face. Right. I'm reminded of the guy. <laughs> Pastor Dave, I keep going back to this because it's so real. He said, I don't want to do the will of God because I don't want to go to Mexico. <laughs> and guess what? Pastor David never mentioned anything about Mexico. Obviously, something was going on within the mind of this individual that he knew that God wanted him to do. And guess what? He was at a place where he didn't think God's best was what was best for him. A lot of times we get that way. Boy, I need this. And God, please provide this for me. Well, maybe God is saving you from something that you don't want over here. Maybe God has a little better wisdom than you or I have. Right. And maybe we should rely on God to provide for us rather than relying that what we want or what we need is truly what we want or need. Verse two, it says, and stop being conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewedness of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know how you know and figure out what the will of God is? You put aside what it is that you want and you say, you know what, God, you have all wisdom. I believe that's true. This is your plan and purpose. I believe that's true. You've provided for me in the past. I believe that's true. So guess what? I'm going to trust you for whatever it is that you want me to do to provide for me. And God will reveal what it is that he, does, he requires for you uh, in that situation. It says you're going back to Ephesians chapter uh, 5 and verse 17. Uh, you can clearly understand what God desires for you by putting aside what it is that you want and allowing God to have his way. In verse 18, and be not drunk with wine, whereas um, uh, that word for excess is our word for unsavingness. And so where you're uh, filled with wine and the past pastor Dave did a good job on a series with this a, a while ago. But where you're you're filled with wine, you can't be filled with the spirit. And so he says, but be filled contrarily with the spirit. 
And here we go, uh, getting to where we want to get to and land uh, here. So we're going to have to go through this a little quickly. But the spiritual harmony of a filled believer, what does it look like? He says, speaking to yourselves, this word for laleo, verbalizing to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, this word for, uh, no, not in tongues, no. We'll, we'll develop it here in a second. Uh, but this word for speaking to yourself in psalms, it comes from our word just for that, psalms, right? And you look back in the Old Testament, you see all of these psalms that were written, and they're written in a melodic type manner, right? And a lot of people who understand and know poetry can clearly see that as you're reading through them. They're not written like the rest of scripture is written. There's a different quality to it. And hymns, our word for hymns is straight over again. It's a transliteration. What we just sang there a minute ago are considered to be hymns. And spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. That word for songs is our word for ode, right? Those, those odes that you would uh, say to someone or a remembrance uh, concerning someone. And so you're harmonizing to yourself. It doesn't have to be out loud, right? And I'm not saying that you can't sing and give God praise for the things that he's done. But what I am saying is the difference of what you're seeing here than of, of those victory statements and those things that are seen in other parts of Scripture is that this is spurred from the inside of a regenerated believer. Right. And so it's coming out or from within to what comes out. It could be verbalized. Right. But it doesn't have to be. You are aligned completely with God, the creator of the universe, in all that he act or acted or intended for your life individually. And it's a perfect harmony. Right? I almost start, want to start singing on The Lion King. It's the circle of life. It seems like everything is perfect there, right? Everything has its perfect rhythm and its perfect reality, right? It's going the way that it's supposed to go. And I would say similarly here is you're thinking about how you're aligning to your relationship with God. It is a harmonious relationship. It's a sweet song. It is beautiful, right? You ever heard one of those songs that is just so well written? The words, I know a lot of people just like to listen to music. I like to look at words, right? And what do the words of this song really mean? What was that artist trying to convey? And some of these songs are so well written, and then they are accompanied by perfect music, and it just seems like perfect harmony, right? Like you can't get any better than the writing of this song. Well, guess what? You can get better. You can look at your relationship to God the Father through Christ and that you are in perfect harmony with the way that you're supposed to be walking out this life. The Holy Spirit is leading and dictating your thoughts and actions. And it's just a perfect symbiotic relationship of what it's supposed to be. You don't think sometimes that we can accomplish that on this earth, right? This side of, of being glorified. Well, guess what? You can. You can. And that's what he's talking about right here. Being able to live that out perfectly. And so psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody where? In your heart. And so as you look at the heart, and again, we'll get into this a little bit more here in a couple of months. But the heart is the mind, the will, and the emotions. 
all parts of that inanimate part of human beings in which we're, we're thinking, we're feeling, and we're determining to do or to act. That all is in perfect alignment with what God desires, right? God has a plan and purpose that's overarching all of this, and you fit into that plan and purpose. And you're seeing it played out in real time. And guess what? It's beautiful when it works the way that it's supposed to. Um, the practical application of this is the believer accounts his, posi- his position in Christ. The believer is in tune with his position in Christ and internal uh, or in internal alignment with Christ and in uh, position to act in alignment with whatever is uh, well-pleasing to God. Now, I always come back to this when I'm talking about spiritual and emotional, but go with me over to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 39 before we close out here. Hebrews chapter 10. And go back just a little bit. And with the author of Hebrews here in chapter 10, you're dealing again with a contrast of uh, of expected action and actual action. Right. He's looking at these Hebrew saints who are struggling. Right. If you go back to chapter five, they are struggling with their current spiritual condition. They are not walking out what it looks like to be able to suffer through things and to be able to say, you know what? God still got me. I can be thankful even in light of this situation that's going on. They'd done it before, but now something is hit and they're saying, boy, it's not enough. (laughs) I need more. I need more. Right. And because of this, uh, they're just in a bad way spiritually. In verse 32, he says, but call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great flight of afflictions. Partly, partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, both of uh, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used. For you are uh, had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. You see, before this is the way they were acting, right? Adversity hit and they responded properly to that adversity. And they said, you know what? Whatever happens in this life, guess what? God has us, right? And even if I lose everything in this life, what I have in heaven and what I have in eternity, yes, it's way more, right? But guess what? Adversity hit again. Did they react the same way? He says in verse 35, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise for yet a little while. And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them or out from them who draw back unto perdition. And so this idea here of of destruction, right? And even if you fell from where you needed to be spiritually, it's not falling into destruction, as it were. But of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now, this word for saving is not your word for saving at all. That's uh, soteria. Here you have a, a compound of peri. Uh, which means around perimeter and poison, which means to possess. 
And so into a complete possession, where? Of the soul. Now, what does that mean for you and I as believers? Do we have to, as other people, be led about by your desires and your feelings? Right? You got it right. Uh Uh-uh. We have, through our regenerate nature, the ability to be in possession of our soul. Your soul doesn't have to drive you. Your feelings doesn't have to drive you. The things that you want uh, and, and feel for this life don't have to drive you. It can be the opposite. And now I'm not saying that, uh, like a lot of people do, that believers should just be walking around like robots, no feelings or <laughs> nothing like that. That's, that's not true of the human experience. People are emotional beings, right? But your emotions don't have to dictate your actions for a believer. And that's uh, the amazing thing about it. So going back over to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll close out. On this last uh, point that we're looking at here, you see that uh, the believer is spiritually and emotionally centered, right? As you are uh, having this song go through your body. Now, a lot of times we're emotionally impacted from the outside by songs, right? Depending on the mood that we're in. Or it can change your mood into something else. When I'm mad, I listen to this song that's about happiness and it makes me happy, right? Well, guess what? This song, this spiritual song, comes from within and it's able to project out, right? Total opposite. Your, your spiritual behavior is controlling your emotional. And the believer acts in accordance with uh, our internal alignment. So what have we looked at here today? I, I hope to introduce to you a topic that I'm going to develop a whole lot more uh, as we talk about it. And this is not a shameless plug for, for me in July, but <laughs> we will be revisiting this topic and looking at some of these other songs in Scripture and how they affected people emotionally, right? Guess what? You and I as believers, this is good news. This is not bad news. Because of what we've been provided by Christ, our internal state does not have to be affected from without. What happened with Saul in the Old Testament? David had to come and play him music to calm him down. Because those spirits were, were tormenting him. You and I can be centered from within and we have an internal song where we don't have to have someone else to come and calm our mood, right? The Holy Spirit can be the one that calms and satisfies your mood. Mm -hmm. And so as we look at it, human songs do not have the same effect as spiritual. There is no song that you're going to listen to on the radio that is going to satisfy you like your relationship with God through Christ can. And that that that, uh, moving of the Holy Spirit that you have from within can. The spiritual state of the believer determines what drives us. And so as you're acting in your flesh, and you're allowing the flesh to have free reign over you or me, guess what? You're going to get the flesh. One plus one does indeed equal two. I know we live in a society where people want a blind reality, right? There's men, women, and all kinds of other things. There's... <laughs> One plus one equals two only if that's your truth, right? <laughs> the sky is, is blue only if you think it is, right? <laughs> Otherwise, it might be green or purple or whatever you want it to be. It's your truth, right? 
Well, guess what? Scripture speaks of truth, truth. (laughs) There is one truth, and it comes from the God of truth. And so as you're walking by the flesh, you're going to get the things of the flesh. As you're walking by the spirit, you're going to get the things of the spirit. And so the actions of the spiritual believer are evident through our action. And you see that played out from what's going on uh, inside of the believer. And then lastly, one of the actions evident of a spiritual believer is this internal song that you have going on within you. So uh, probably should have spent a little bit more time on that last point, but I dragged getting to it. So you'll have to wait for a month and we'll get back to it again. All right, let's close out in a word of prayer. Father, we're so grateful uh, for this day and grateful that uh, we are not ones that uh, have to be affected from the things outside, uh, but that we uh, have the indwelling of all three persons of the Godhead and that we have a position as well in all three persons so that we can internally live out uh, those things that, that uh, are, are calming and satisfying for us. And so in any situation we find ourselves in, whether it be adverse situations, whether it be good situations, whether they be situations that we just don't want to be a part of, we know that we can uh, act out lives that are glorifying to you. And sometimes we're going to miss the mark on that, Father. So we pray that when we do, that we would uh, realign ourselves with who we are in Christ uh, so that on the outside, people might be able to see the life of your son, Jesus. We're so grateful for all of these things that you provided to us. We're grateful for the opportunities that we have to come. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.